Thanks, Justin. He seemed to appreciate that I called him out by name. So. <laughs> Uh, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. We're, we're going to be touching on baptism today, and the reason I think that's worthwhile is, A, it's something I don't normally do on this Sunday. So there, through the years, if you've been part of this church for a number of, uh, would be, maybe start 2011, so it's eight years, something like that, that rarely do I teach on this, because I think it's one of the more confusing sections in the Bible, and some of you may disagree and say, I totally understand what happens at Jesus' baptism, but I want to kind of just overarching uh, cover what we're talking about in baptism and then just look at like what that means as we look at it specifically in this section uh, that we have today. So a couple things, the baptism had, brings a lot of confusion in the church world. If you ever have many discussions with someone who is a Christian, these are usually Christian discussions, not necessarily one from uh, people who are your, your friends who are not believing. Um, but normally, they, if you talk to Christians and you start to get to talk about like what does the, the Bible teach or what do you believe as an individual and what do they believe, baptism is going to be one of these where there's a number, there's a little bit of confusion. Has anyone else experienced this? Nobody? Okay. So there's a reason why because uh, there's a lot of differences as people talk about it. So one of the things that you'd say, okay, you don't have to raise your hand for this, but if you just think in your head, your, your own baptism, were you baptized um, by immersion completely underwater or were you baptized through application of water on just your head so now you're like okay so you're having this conversation if you were baptized outside like in a river or the ocean or were you baptized indoors right so that's a difference were you uh, do you remember your baptism very distinctly some of you might say i barely distinctly remember um do you do you remember your baptism or are you just totally you were so small and you've only seen pictures and you're saying why am i wearing a dress as a boy like this doesn't make sense like maybe uh, so th there's a couple things, and then you even get to, is this something when you were baptized, is this something where there was like a commitment connected with it, or was it just you're hearing God's promises? So all of these differences, does that seem like what we run into when we talk about, and this is from Ephesians, there's one body, one spirit, just as you were called, to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. We hear about like one baptism. Do we see that same thing? Um, we're going to talk about that. Before we even get there, we have to talk about where did baptism even come from. So if you're talking about Jewish people, they would have had ceremonies and things like that. And the first instance that we have, because of who started baptism, everyone recognized this. So I got this awesome graph from the internet that is not that blurry. It was on Pinterest, so you always wonder, like when I pull it into the program, it's like the size of a postage stamp, so then I stretch it. So this is obviously very, very clear because it has different colors. Uh, so the resurrection, this is Jesus. Most of us uh, spend most of our time trying to figure out what happens before the resurrection. So Jesus rises from the dead on a Sunday, and then the first appearance he makes, of course, is to the women and to the disciples, but mostly to the women. And then on the way back from Emmaus, the road to Emmaus, He's, he's walking along, remember, and they're talking about all the things that happened in Jerusalem, and then poof, he, he disappears. And, and the next thing we know, he is knocking on the door of the house, and he goes to appear to the disciples uh, that first week. And of course, who's not there? Thomas. Um, and everyone gives him a hard time, like, I can't believe you didn't believe a man rose from the dead. Uh, but poor Thomas is there a week later, and then uh, he appears. So that's that first week. And the Bible tells us he appeared to, does anyone know how many people roughly? It says over 500 people. So this is a big deal when they're talking about the resurrection stories. It's not just three people or something like that, the accounts. But there's 500 people during that 40 days. And one of those times, for example, is when they went back to fishing, and Peter 
and um, I think it's Peter and John are, they're fishing, and then they see Jesus at the shore, and this is before, I remember Peter, the last thing that happened is he betrayed Jesus, he maybe still feels some of that guilt, and he jumps in the water from 100 yards away, which is kind of awesome, like, he, you know, they're, they're making their way there, and then it, just imagine you're so excited to see your grandparents, and your kid jumps out of the car, like most of us be like, this is not a good idea, but Peter longed to spend this time with Jesus, that's all happening during that blue area, that's only 40 days, so 40 days after Jesus, um, it has risen from the dead. He's kind of in and out. He's not with the disciples the whole time. But 40 days after, it's what we have, the ascension. So they go to the Mount of Olives, and the disciples are gathered on the top of the Mount of Olives. Just, this is just to the east of Jerusalem, if you know geography. And then he ascends into heaven. But before he leaves, he's got some instructions. And the instructions are pretty straightforward. Uh, kind of two messages. Go make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and then teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. So like that's the last words they get. So we don't get a lot of details from God. Jesus ascends, he says, baptize everyone, and then it's happening, and they're like, wait, 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 what? Um, they, they don't, you can imagine like the instructions, just like your parents when they leave the house. They're like, just make sure the house is clean, then they shut the door and they leave, and you're like, what, what do you mean by clean? Right? That's what I would ask as a kid. So these are going on, and then just 10 days later, we are positive Jesus was not going to return again. So the disciples are hanging out in Jerusalem. And then 10 days later is what we call the Festival of Pentecost. And the Holy Spirit comes. And then the church explodes. I think it, they gain 3,000 believers in the matter of uh, one day. And you're like, how does that happen? Because these were Jewish people who were waiting for the Messiah. And through the sermon that Peter gave that day, they recognize the Messiah we're waiting for is actually Jesus. And so you can see this amazing thing, and I don't know how Peter felt after preaching after that, and he's like, listen, guys, I preached once, 3,000 believers. And then the next time, next time, that's what we call, that's not negative splitting if you're, a, you're an athlete. Like negative splitting is things get better as it goes on. So poor Peter um, had it go from there. So we have 50 amazing things that are happening, and we get there. So what about baptism? So this is what we know. He sent the disciples, says, go and baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. So what is baptism? Applying water in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now there's a little bit more confusion because there's kind of two primary ways to look at baptism. And if, you, if this is something you've wrestled with, and, and I can see where people are coming from, and I'll tell you the one. The one is um, when you do something for God, that's considered a sacrifice. We would say that same thing. We don't always use those terms, but if I said um, we now give our offerings, I could say we will now sacrifice to God. We don't traditionally say that. We say we will receive our offerings, so we give our offerings to the Lord. So that is something, you have something and you're giving it up, that's a sacrifice. Um, you give your time. Um, and usually say, please volunteer your time, but I mean, we could just as easily say, we would really want everyone to sacrifice some time for the Lord today. I mean, that's the same, you are sacrificing time when you come to church. So God says, this is what I expect, and you say, I would like to do that. That is a sacrifice. That's pretty normal. So if you read through scripture and you read the instances of baptism, it kind of makes sense. Right? So God says give offerings, so we give offerings. There's a number of times where, I'll give you an example. Um, Peter, he preaches, and they're, they're cut to the heart, it says, and they say, like, what must we do to be saved? They don't know what to do, and he says two things. Repent. Do you know what the second one is? And be baptized. Right? These are actions. So it's not a, it's not a huge thing. So it's, I mean, it's not a um, huge surprise that people would say there's an action to it. And we're action-oriented people. So if you think about how we function as individuals and you think how we function even as cultures, so what age roughly is there a point where someone does some actionable item to say that they're part of a group? 
just watch National Geographic for a while and you're going to see like, and here is the whatever tribe or whatever country, there's some kind of rite of passage where they do something. And some of these are pretty scary, right? Have you seen the ones where like they tie their foot to a pole and then they go flying down or they, they usually have to do something reasonably dangerous. Uh, I think in Africa there's instances where they have to kind of go out into the, into the it's not a, what is it in Africa? It's not a jungle. Savannah? That's all we got is Savannah. I felt like there's some trees involved or something. They talk about like cutting, but it's a scary idea, right? These wild animals, and then they go out by their own, and then they, you know, they wonder what's going to happen. Very similar product. Uh, we went to the Apache Reservation, and you can see along when you get to a certain age, roughly about 13, 14, um, right around the time where people are maturing, there is huts along, um, and this is some kind of dramatic ceremony that happens. So you go along, the, it's the White River Reservation, but while we're there, there would be huts, and the families gather around, it's an individual going through kind of like this cathartic, um, w- different experience. I think peyote's involved. This is real, I'm not just making a joke, but there's peyote involved, and, there, and there's this transition to like adulthood. And so this is my own thought on it. What has sort of happened in the Christian world, you say you want to belong as a Christian, well, we have this right that says, well, you're baptized. And we have instances where the Bible says, this is what you do. And we have beautiful pictures that said we're drowned. I mean, our old self is drowned through baptism. And so what has happened for many, many places, if you're talking about baptism, friends that you have, they'd say, well, on my baptism day, I stood before a congregation, and maybe this is your experience. I stood before a congregation, and I said, I am committed to what the Bible says, and I would like to be baptized to symbolize that picture of drowning my old self and, and being kind of renewed with Christ. Does that make sense? I, sh- I actually think it does, right? I mean, from the surface level, it makes sense. The struggle we have is twofold as we talk about baptism. Then we're going to take a look at one section. And the struggle that we have is twofold. One is, uh, it's the new year. How many of you did New Year's resolutions? How many of you made a resolution not to raise your hand when people ask you about New Year's resolution? Like I, every one of us has made some promise. Maybe you didn't write it down just because, uh, but you, you kind of made something. And some of these are maybe a little more dramatic than others. And I, I do this all the time. And I use the same list. How many diets start on a Monday? Like every diet, right? That's how it works. There's no diet that starts on a Saturday night. Someone's like, you know what? I think I'm going to eat really good from now on through the weekend. Like this does not happen. Like no one's at Applebee's at happy hour on a Friday going, you know what? Today is the day. I'd like a salad, please. Um, that is not how it works. Usually, we, there's this fresh start and there's this renewal. And why does that happen? Because we don't do it. And so I asked a, a question. I, I don't know if I asked it. I thought I was going to. I had it written down. But um, how many of you have been baptized more than one time? And I'm guessing there's going to be some hands that would be raised. And the reason is uh, simply this. I am making a commitment to God and through my baptism, that's what the understanding, the first one, the sacrifice idea. And when I fail in that, I want to renew that commitment. Does that make sense? Just like on a Monday, you say, I'm going to renew my commitment to a diet. I'm going to renew my commitment to exercise. I'm going to actually go to the gym past January, right? I mean, like these are all renewed commitments. The, the issue, though, I think the challenge with that is, is comes down to this, is the way that the Bible talks about baptism is, is baptism something that I do for God? And the answer is, if, if that's all it was, and it was a symbol, that would be a sacrifice. But if it's connected with something that God does in me, we use a different term, and we use the word sacrament. And so the section I just want to look at, we could look at a couple of them, but one would be in um, Titus. So this is Titus chapter 3. So when the kind of, so all I want you to do is look at is, who is the 
Who's the one doing the action primarily here? So when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy, he saved us through the washing of rebirth. That's a term for um, baptism. It's not baptismal, but it's another similar term. And renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Lord. So the struggle that theologians have that would not fit in a Camp A sacrifice is that say, okay, it is obviously something we do. Um, go and be baptized. You have to go somewhere to be baptized. If any of you have been baptized recently, you would say, hey, pastor, I'd like to be baptized. There is something that I do. But there's also this connection that says, is there something that happens through God when I do this action? When that happens, we use a different word, and we use the word sacrament. So there's two instances that we see that specifically. If you grew up Catholic, you're like, no, there's like five sacraments. We have a slightly different definition, and here's our definition that's pretty simple. Um, Jesus started it, instituted it. It's an action that I do with a physical element and that God does something in it. And I think you're going to find that as the more and more you study, we're not going to do an exhaustive study today, but the more that you study baptism, you're going to say, yes, it is something that I do, but God is also doing something through me. The other example that we have as a sacrament would be communion. We come to communion and we say, what, what is communion? And for a number of people, again, that was a sacrifice in a sense. I'm doing this, this act. But when we say sacrament, we're saying, Jesus said, um, take and eat. This is my body and blood. We come to a table. We receive Jesus' body and blood and uh, the bread and wine. And then God says, I am doing something in that. And you will receive the forgiveness of sins. There's something happening in that. So where does this kind of jump and put us. Um, we're going to be looking in the book of Matthew, and this, I think, will help understand a little bit what is happening on, uh, when we look in Matthew for uh, Jesus' baptism. Very simply, it says, Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and you come to me. Do you understand, like, the confusion that would have been happening Right, like, this is like this idea that he is, I mean, John's going about his business and who is coming to him. I mean, if you would think, if you could summarize John's message in one word, like if there would be a meme of John the baptizer, what, what would it say on the bottom? Starts with an R. Repent, right? I mean, like how many of you, like you would go to the river and just picture this guy with this scraggly hair. It talks about this vow that he took, so his hair was probably not cut he lived on camels, I mean, he lived on uh, bugs and sugar, and he had camel's hair, and he would just been this crazy guy by the river, but it seems like he is just yelling, repent, repent, repent. And so people come, and they repent, and what do they want? They're talking about John's baptism. They say, I, they confess, and they find trust in God, and they renew. Repent, repent, repent. So now imagine in this instance where you grow up with this guy, he's your relative, and he is perfect in every way, and this is your message, like in the middle of it, repent, 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 and then your grandmother comes down the aisle. I mean, just even if this is not Jesus, your grandmother is not perfect, right? Um, but imagine like you have this message about how everyone is bad and everyone is evil, and then your nice grandmother comes down the aisle. Unless your grandmother's not nice, then think of someone else. <laughs> Think of my grandmother. She is super nice. How about that? So, like, you can imagine this beautiful, nice lady. Would you change your message? And so here John is in the middle of, like, I just picture screaming repent to all these people. And suddenly Jesus comes, the Holy One of God, the chosen Messiah, and he's like, yeah, I don't know what you're doing here. 
but we got something else going on here. You can imagine how uncomfortable he is, and he says, you, you should be the one doing it for me. And Jesus' words are interesting. He says, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this, to fulfill all righteousness. And at the end of the day, that's where people have struggled. Why in the world was Jesus, what, what does he mean to fulfill all righteousness? So John consents, like, this is very vague. Let it be so now. It's proper for us to do, uh, do this, to fulfill all righteousness. And he's like, yeah, I'll, what was I thinking? Of course, that's what it means. Could you imagine someone coming to me and I'm like, no, no, I can't do that for you. And they go, this is proper now to fulfill all righteousness. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I, thanks for explaining that. We'll just keep going. But what is happening? We see this picture that every single thing Jesus does is not necessarily for Jesus. The things he does are for you. And I think there's this beautiful picture when we talk about it. It doesn't make any sense that this baptism where God does something for us, why would Jesus need it? But we see this picture that the people that he loves are the ones who are sinful. The people that he loves are, are you and me who have made a thousand mistakes. The people that he loves are people that if we said, I've got to make my commitment to God, it's not once a year, it's not once a lifetime. I think, uh, how does Martin Luther talk about it? In baptism, daily sorrow and repentance. Every morning, I can wake up. There's never been a morning where I just say, you know what, I'm going to go through my sins and don't have any today. Right? Has that ever happened to you? No. So every single one of us wake up with the guilt and the pain and the shame and we feel, as I showed to these kids, you just feel left out from God and Jesus says, I want you to know I'm going to do the things that you couldn't do perfectly and he goes all the way, every move he makes, all the way to the cross, even in baptism, says I'm doing this for God to fulfill all the right things that have to be done. So where does this put us? As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. And at that moment, heaven was opened up and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. This is my son whom I love. With him I am. And I, I want you just to think about it a second. Through baptism, the Bible makes a huge point in Romans that we are connected to Christ in our baptisms. Which means that when God sees you, he sees Jesus. And it's like, uh, if you've ever been, like, for work or for school, you've been on part of a project, maybe you're not very good on the project. Has this ever happened to anyone? Or maybe you're the good one, sorry. All right, you're the good one. Um, but if you're not very good at something, you're really kind of nervous about it. Uh, okay, how many of you are not the oldest in your family? Anyone, had, like, one of the younger kids? This happens every year when you when you're a kid and you would give your parents a birthday or Christmas present. So you have this idea, I'm going to give my parents a Christmas present, kind of, but you kind of forgot about it. And then you have an older sister, maybe, that goes on Pinterest and cuts out these things and says what great parents we are, I mean, hypothetically, and then, then has all this, and then there's three signatures on the bottom, but we kind of know who did the work, right? <laughs> and that's the same thing when we get to heaven and when God says, you have done fantastic, we kind of know who did the work. God is not looking at our daily mistakes and all these things, but through baptism, the Bible tells us we're connected with Christ. And so when God looks at Jesus and says this, he, just imagine yourself right now. God looks at you and he says, this is my son, this is my daughter, whom I love with them, I am well pleased. There's something to that, and I just want to talk about belonging here for a second. Um, I was seeing, I just read this relatively recently that with the Mars rover. Uh, this girl's name is Sophie, I think it's Collins or uh, Sophie Collins. So she was an orphan in uh, Siberia, and a single mom named Lori Collins saw her story and said, I want to adopt her. And they had this contest. So this is how it always works. And I'll just talk for a second uh, for the kids here, for the kids that are here. 
As an adult, we're all going to be moved by this third grader story. I think it's pretty cool. As a kid, this was the worst thing ever. Uh, because whenever I'd hear about stories about kids who are amazing, as a kid, I just felt worse. Did anyone else feel like this way? Like, uh, my parents would be like, yeah, look at this kid. They started a nonprofit. I'm like, great. Um, <laughs> what have I done with my life? Um, so if you're a kid, don't feel bad if you feel terrible and you're in fourth grade and you haven't um, named the Mars Rovers. So this is what happens. She's an orphan and she writes this story in an essay. 10,000 people put it in. I used to live in an orphanage. It was dark and cold and lonely. At night, I looked up at the sparkly sky and felt better. I dreamed I could fly there. In America, I can make all my dreams come true. Thank you for the spirit and the opportunity. Of course, those are the rovers that went out. And they took her whole family and they flew them out to the Kennedy Space Center so they could see it launch. Why do I bring that up? What, what dreams do you think an orphan has? I don't think it's really just go to space, right? I mean, I don't think that's, I don't think that's the dream she said. What, notice what she said. I, lived in, uh, I used to live in an orphanage. It was dark. It was cold. And I don't even think the temperature. Like, I just dream of a sleeping bag. I don't think that was it. I think it's the idea of loneliness. And sometimes we forget when I talk about belonging, um, we talk about belonging, we, we kind of push that to a side as our culture gets more and more singular in its nature. Um, how many of you, when you talk about doing something like on a Saturday night, and maybe as a family you used to watch a TV show or something on a Saturday night, or you used to have Sunday dinners and stuff like that, just think about how as a, individuals, as your family, if you have teenagers and things like that, do you watch TV shows all together? Or you can just pull it on your phone, you can, you can watch this alone. So just the way that we receive entertainment has kind of shifted, the way that we receive friends, and, I, and I'm not picking on teens, it really, I mean, it's a different story, but when I was a kid, like you were outside and you played with your friends and you had these conversations, and I think some of that gets missed when you can interact with your friends through, through media. And in fact, they talk about that with dating, like this is an epidemic, how difficult this is to actually talk to a human in person. Right, this is a challenge. I'm not looking at anyone individual. Someone just smirked at me. I'm like, I wasn't looking at you. Um, the, but it gets more and more challenging. And so, I mean, if you want to take it, escalate it all the way, you're talking about entertainment, then you're talking about social interaction, and then you talk about even sexual encounters and intimacy and how confusing this is and how challenging this is become more and more. Um, and we, we struggle. And then you, you watch like Christmas messages. It says, just get some stuff. And, and I'm guessing, you know, buy some things and... I'm guessing already it's January 12th. How many of you are still like just living in the, the bask of your glow, unless you got a, a Chiefs jersey, but how many of you are living in the bask of your glow of your Christmas items? Or it would take you a little bit to remember what you got, right? This doesn't, this doesn't bring fulfillment. And belonging isn't just um, having stuff. Belonging is this idea of acceptance. I asked, uh, we did a survey and I was talking to people and I made a lot of phone calls before we, we said, well, how do we talk about our church? And, and you probably know how it came down. God's word for your everyday. But a theme that came up from more than one person, especially people who were single, they said, I want a place where I'm accepted. And when you talk about what baptism is and that you have a holy God and you wonder, God, like, am I on your kickball team? And through baptism, God puts his name on you. And through baptism, Jesus takes your sins away. This is, yes, I step forward, but God says, I'm going to do something else. I'm going to bring forgiveness, and I'm going to bring new life, and I'm going to bring salvation so that you know where you stand, you stand accepted. She named, um, she named the rovers, what is it, spirit and opportunity. And I think there's something, when you're part of something, you have opportunity. And I think that's one of the, that's what we'll finish real quick. 
um, the beauty that says through Christ in baptism that we have an opportunity to find joy. So I'm going to talk in two stages. When you're really, really little and really, really sad, there's something beautiful about being held by someone that they said, I care about you, you're accepted. And so when you're really little, you're scared and you, you sit in your parents' lap. And when you're really old, I'm 43, and you're like, well, yeah, that's no, there's something, um, sometimes I'll even say to my wife, I won't mind if you just held me. Now you're like, you're a grown man. There's something beautiful about someone saying, I accept who you are, right? And there's a shift that happens, though, when you're little. And uh, we just got to experience this a little bit with Zeke. Uh, so Mike and Hillary stayed with us for the week, and I see Zeke run around, and he's two and a half, and he talks better than I do. Um, so, he's, so he's running around, and then he would just bring his mom, like the really the dumbest thing ever. It'd be like a piece of lint and say, look, mom. And she's like, that's amazing. And he would just light up with joy. Why? His mom accepted him and, and said, like, you want to please your, your spouse. You, I mean, you want to please your mom. And I think that grows, right? In a marriage, when do you find the most joy? When you're pleasing your spouse, not when you're trying to consume. When do you find the most joy for God? It's not just consuming. God gives us so much. But when we get to go out in the world and we get to give and uh, you get to go to work tomorrow knowing that you're part of God's family and you get to give to the people at work and you get to go and be a parent and just do all the parenting things and some of it's a mess and to know that this is God pleasing and I make God happy because I'm part of his team and in his grace I'm not trying to earn anything but I get this joy of living in God's grace you get to drive your beat up car or your 40 you get to watch the game today on a 42 inch tv <laughs> and be happy that the guys are this big. No, 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 you get to be happy. Why? Because that's not what's going to bring joy, right? If I got an 80-inch TV, would it matter? No. I mean, it, you get a joy that says, I'm with God. I have forgiveness. And through baptism, God puts his name on it. And I think for the last thing, the final, final thing, um, there's been a lot of years where baptism has kind of slid to the side. And I think here's now a chance to, when you're down, it's like picturing God holding you and said, you're with me. You're forgiven. You are accepted. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we are so thankful for what Jesus has done. He went all the way to the cross. But in the meantime, from birth all the way until his death, he did everything absolutely right. There's many, many days that we come with guilt, we're broken, we, we wonder what's going on, uh, success at work and then failure at work, and success in relationships and then failure in relationships. And we have one relationship that through you, we, we don't really have to do anything. Through you, your grace comes to us in baptism, and you are the action, you are the one who does these things to, to say that you are accepted, you are okay, you are forgiven, and you have new life in me. We look forward to a day where we don't have to worry about these things, but we also look forward to a day while we're on this earth, while we're here, we just get to live in this acceptance and get to go out in the streets, and we get to give of ourselves because we can never give enough uh, because you've so filled us up. We ask this in your name. Amen.